Will you pray with me? We want to pray with thanksgiving for the children, uh, the children who sang, also for youth who are in the room. Uh, we pray for all the youth at Godwin High School. We pray for all the children and youth at Christmas uh, that they would, would apprehend and receive uh, the Messiah. The whole story began with a little child. And so we want to bless the children and the youth that you've entrusted to us and those who will soon be with us in the future. And so we pray with thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the middle and high schoolers are invited to go with Nolan to the youth room for the youth breakout. Love singing that last song. It's called The Light of the World by Lauren Daigle. And the first lyric is the theme for our sermon series, The World Waits for a Miracle. And the second lyric, I don't know if you noticed it, the world waits for a little bit of hope. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the reason why that's meaningful to me is I think Christmas is a lot about hope. And I just want to acknowledge uh, if you're here today and you just kind of barely made it uh, and you got yourself out the door and maybe part of you didn't even want to come, I just want to say well done. I think it's a little bit of an emblem of Christmas. You know, people are rushing around and there's a lot of busyness and freneticness. And if you're like me, the exterior, you know, we're listening to the Christmas carols at the mall and we're singing, have yourself a holly jolly Christmas. And the exterior of it doesn't always match with the interior. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes we're just on the inside, we're barely hanging on. And if you're just barely hanging on uh, this morning, I just want to say uh, you're in the right place. And the gospel that we preach and teach is that Jesus came in our weakness and struggle, and he came to atone for our sin, and he extends his grace and mercy to us, and he does that to you today. So glad you're all here. And the burden of this series is that we won't cure the cosmic ache of the world and of our own souls on our own. So there's a lot that we would long to be different in the world and in our own lives. And we won't cure that on our own. And the other thing is that we actually have more hope than we realize. I think sometimes Christians, when it comes to Advent, we talk simply about the first coming of Jesus. And that is a great hope to us, but it's not all the hope. And so what we're doing in this series is we're trying to expand your vision and we're trying to fill you with hope. And so what we're doing at Community West this year is we're waiting also for the second coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ the King in glory to restore the earth. And that is very, very good news. And that's our vision, this expanding vision for Advent. So the practice that we're inviting you into is the spiritual muscle of waiting. And a lot of us, you know, we don't want to wait. And we think waiting is a waste of time. And when we do wait, we only wait for the next season or the next development in our life, which we hope will be better than the one we're in now. 
But we're really trying to expand that way bigger than that. That there is an event, and it is coming, and it's going to happen, and it's going to change everything. And it's going to change everything for you. And so uniquely, Christians are living in the in-between. We're living in between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And that is a great, great blessing. And little did you know that many of our Advent and Christmas carols anticipate Jesus' return. And so take joy to the world. We sing it, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Then look at this line, let earth receive her king. Now everybody sings that like we're singing about baby Jesus, but it's bigger than that. Christ is going to return as the king in glory. And then the line, he rules the world. That's altogether second coming stuff. With truth and grace and makes the nations prove all the nations. What about we three kings of Orient are? Uh, king forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. This is second coming stuff in our Christmas carols. When the Lord returns, the second advent to rule and reign and restore the earth. What about when Jesus returns as judge? Oh, holy night has the, the lyric, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What in the world does that mean? We don't know. But we learned last week that it's a direct reference to Malachi 4.2. When Jesus returns as judge and it says the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. So the writer of these carols, they understood, but we don't. That's the problem. And so we're trying to expand our vision and get us into it, all of it, the hope that we have. And so the point is that Advent is designed for us to watch and wait in hope. In the words of Rich Mullins, to shake us forward and shake us free. And so that's my deep hope for you this Advent season. I said our entire series is from the book of Mark, verses 1 to 13. It's Mark's prelude. And I said two weeks ago that there's a small staff team, creative team, that's helped with the series. And I wanted to bring you in on one more team member. So the way I write my sermons, I write them typically at home, and I write them from a particular chair. And there's a, uh, usually I have a trusty companion in that chair. And so uh, here's that trusty companion. This is Sammy. And usually when I sit down to write sermons, up comes Sammy trotting. It's as if to say, Dad, I know you're going to need help. I'm here for you, Dad. And so Sammy lays down, and he did that this morning also. Just giving credit where credit is due. It's a team effort. We've been saying that Advent, now this is what we're trying to get you into. Advent is about waiting. It's also about yearning and longing and hoping. It's getting you into desire dignified desire. So two weeks ago, we said that we're longing for a solution to the chaos and disorder in the world. And how is that desire fulfilled? It's through the coming of Christ the King. And last week, we said that we're getting you into the longing for all the wrongs to be made right. And how is that desire fulfilled? It's through the coming of Christ the Judge. And this week, we're saying we're longing for an end to evil in the world. And how is that desire fulfilled? It is through the coming of the powerful one who destroys the evil one. So friends, you know, strap on your, your belts. You know, buckle up. Here we go again. It's not for the faint-hearted. 
but we wouldn't want it any other way, and we want to be filled with hope, and that's my deepest desire for you today. So please turn in your Bibles or your worship guides to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. And I'll note, in your paper worship guides, I hope you got the 1030 paper worship guide today. Uh, We had different ones for the two services. But in your paper worship guide, there's a place for sermon notes. Maybe there's something that the Spirit would bring to mind that you'd want to jot down and you'd want to remember, and there's a place for that. So we've been building on the reading each week. And so we're going to read the whole reading, but the preaching text is simply verses 12 and 13. So this is Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do want to be saved from merely the flurry and the hustle and bustle of Christmas and be taken into the deeper places and in the places of more light and more glory and more hope. And so we pray that you would do that for us today through these words. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We've been saying that the context is... Verse 1, Mark's opening words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So Mark speaks primarily through the voice of John the Baptist, who first calls his readers to prepare for the coming king. He says, make straight the paths for him. Second, the people are coming out to receive John's baptism of cleansing, verses 4 and following. So dressed in camel's hair with the leather belt around his waist, John is clearly being presented by Mark as the new Elijah, who prophesied of the coming just judge who comes like a launderer's soap. And today, Mark previews Jesus' final titanic cosmic battle with Satan, when evil is destroyed in all the earth. 
So we're trying to get oriented. This is Advent. And again, Advent is the word that means coming. It's the coming of Jesus. The first time as the Messiah, the second time as king and judge. And Jesus has not arrived yet in Galilee to begin his public ministry. So Mark doesn't have a birth narrative, no Christmas narrative, but he does have an arrival narrative. But he hasn't gotten to the arrival narrative yet. That happens after our verses. So we're still in Advent. Today's reading is Jesus' clash with Satan. And so we're just going to look at it. Verse 12, at once, so have it in your lap. You can have it. Some of them will come up on the screen. At once, the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness. And so you might ask, well, why is the Spirit sending Jesus out into the wilderness? He just had this lovely baptism, beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased. Then, right out into the wilderness. I think this is an expression of God's grace because just as in love the Father sent the Son from heaven to earth, now in love the Spirit sends the Son into the wilderness which will become a setting for the salvation of the world. Verse 13, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So I want to unpack this, again, this wilderness part. It seems a little strange. The backdrop is that in the Old Testament, after God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he sent them into the wilderness. And what happened there? God dwelled with his people. So the divine God came down and he dwelled with his people in the wilderness through the tent of meeting, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And so now, when we get to Mark chapter 1, scholar Rick Watts argues that with the Spirit sending Jesus into the wilderness, what Mark is doing is showing this isn't merely the Messiah who is coming. It is the Son of God. It is Yahweh. It is Yahweh in the midst of His people. It's the return and fulfillment of Yahweh in the midst. So that's what's happening here. Mark is raising the stakes it says Jesus was tempted by Satan. So we don't really know what to do with this word Satan, and we'll get into this. But Satan is a word that means adversary. In our, in our modern world, I think we get tripped up with the personification of evil. And we get tripped up, and we run off in the direction of little red suits and pitchforks. And the other thing we do with evil is we, we assume that we couldn't be possibly be a part of it. And so I've been quoting from Fleming Rutledge, and she tells the story of Romeo Dallaire, the senator from Canada who visited Rwanda when the genocide was going on there. And so after Dallaire returns home to Canada, someone asked Dallaire if it was possible for him still to believe in God after witnessing the horrors of genocide. And Dallaire said this, he said, I answered that I know there is a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. Do you get it? This is how we think. I have seen him, I have smelled him, and I have touched him, and I know the devil exists, and therefore I know there is a God. So this is how we typically relate to evil. It's evil personified, and it's evil someplace else. But again, Satan means God's enemy, his adversary. So, so far in the wilderness, Satan is trying to undermine the coming of God's kingdom by undermining the work of God's Son. But Scripture also says Satan is our adversary. 
In 1 Peter it says, to the church, be sober, be watchful, your, your adversary. All right, it's getting a little personal. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like roar, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The Apostle Paul, again speaking to the church, says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And here it is, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So listen, we're being drawn into this. Fleming Rutledge writes, I think we've been fooled in the Western church into this bland veneer of a benign spirituality that admits the presence of God, but denies the presence of God's enemy. Are you with me, church? Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. Paul calls Satan the one who masquerades as an angel of light. In Revelation 12, 9, Satan is equated with the serpent. In the Bible, he is described as the deceiver and the destroyer. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says Satan is the ruler of this world, which means he is a major influence on the values and perspectives of the majority of people, including you and me. So we can't, we can't distance ourselves. We all think evil is out there, something somebody else is doing. The Scriptures brings, brings it right into the room. And if you're not convinced, a synonym for Satan used elsewhere in the New Testament is diabolos. And this one is the one that really gets me. It's a word that means splitter. So Satan is the one who alienates us from God. He's also the one that splits us off from family and friends. The splitter is the one that creates divorce. The splitter is the one that creates animosity and hostility, envy and jealousy, gossip and criticism, and holding on to deceptive attitudes about people. The splitter is the one who keeps us writing someone off and somebody else is writing us off. All that's the work of the splitter, Diabolos, who is Satan, who is at work in the world. It seems there's hardly been a time in our world when there were deeper divisions between people and we tend to, we never see more than now that groups tend to, what, demonize, note the word, the other side people who do not share their own beliefs. So here's what Mark is trying to, trying to teach us so far. Our battle is not only with sin, but with Satan. Yeah? In Jesus' first coming, Jesus defeated Satan. So hear this. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin and Satan. He took into our own, this is what we believe, this is what we cherish, he took us into his own body, the sin and evil that resides in you and me. And he atoned for it, and he set us free from it. And we are free now to be reconciled to him and to each other. We're forgiven, and we're reconciled. And this is the good news. And that's what happened when Jesus defeated Satan. But there's more good news. In the second coming, Jesus will return to destroy Satan. So in Revelation 20, it says this, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. And this seems like, um, woo, where are we going this morning? But that's the way Revelation is. It's, you know, it's struggling to put into words what's coming. 
And so this is the final titanic cosmic battle between good and evil. And it culminates with Satan being thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, so how is Mark pointing us to that day, you might ask? Well, let's go on. In verse 13, it says, Jesus was with the wild animals. And it just, that just seems like a throwaway, doesn't it? He was with the wild animals. You didn't notice it when it came along. Yeah, he was with the wild animals. And I've got to tell you, in this little two-verse account, Mark is not wasting any ink. So I've been looking for the meaning of all of it. And some scholars will say, oh, it was dangerous out there for Jesus in the wilderness with the wild animals. But look at the words. It says Jesus was with the wild animals. I think he's getting at something different. So what are wild animals? Wild animals are killers. And that's why zookeepers sometimes get mauled by wild animals. They think they've domesticated. So stay with me. Our Advent candle this morning, and incidentally, it's the pink Advent candle because it's the third Sunday of Advent. Advent is a season that begins in the dark, and the deep blue is emblematic of the dark. But things are getting a little rosier. <laughs> and so we've got the pink candle today because the light is closer and closer to being born on the earth. And so we lit the candle of peace today. And what's the image of peace at the end of the age? Does anybody know? The grand emblem of peace is what? Well, here it is. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So this is Jesus coming in the lineage of King David, whose father was Jesse. And then this. And you've read this, but you didn't know what it meant. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. What's happening here? What's happening here is this grand vision of shalom, peace on earth, all the earth, is being uh, depicted by these animals, these wild animals that usually are at each other and killing each other and mauling each other, but now they lie down with each other. And this is the grand emblem of peace on earth. And so there Jesus is, and he's pointing us to something. It says he was with the wild animals, but the wild animals were not so wild with Jesus. So there's that. And then Mark points us to the end with the use of the angels. So verse 13, Jesus was with the wild animals, and then this little throwaway, and you think, okay, yeah, angels are all over the Bible, so here they are again. The angels attended him. What's going on here? I need you to think about this. Well, recall that John the Baptist announced in verse 7, and this caught my eye. If you look in verse 7 and you're reading, what it says is, after me will come one who is more powerful than I am. Now, it's a lot of things he could have said, more loving, more merciful, more wise than I am. There are a lot of things about Jesus, but he said, hey, what's going to be needed is one more powerful than I am. There's going to need to be a demonstration of power. So here we go. You know, we're a week away from Christmas 
And one of the problems with Christmas is that we have to get beyond the familiarity and the sentimentality of the scenes. And one of those is in Luke 2, which is Luke's description of the arrival of baby Jesus. And the thing that we know is it says, what about the shepherds? The shepherds were terrified. Now, why such a strong response? Well, here's the reading. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Now, the word for host here is stratia. So in one sense, I think host is not a very helpful translation because in our day, we don't even know what the word host means. A better translation is the word the NASB uses, which is armies. So think of it this way. Suddenly, a great company of heaven's armies appeared. So what's happening here? Jesus is arriving, and this is a show of force. Are you with me? It's, this thing is going to be war, and there is a great power in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is an enemy power. There is an adversary, and it is going to take the Son and all of heaven's armies to bring the evil one down. And so this is a declaration of war, and all of heaven's armies are appearing, and people who saw it were terrified. Is it making more sense now? Scholar James Edwards says, Mark completely understates the drama in the wilderness scene. And he says in all of Mark, and I think you and I completely underestimate the impact and the power of Satan. So during Advent, um, you know, again, in the Bible, angels often accompany Jesus' second coming. Angels are often a sign of Jesus' return. And when Jesus came the first time, he defeated Satan. But we know when he comes at the end of the age, the angels will, uh, will attend him and he will destroy Satan. And so here's what I think, and I think it's all indicated in this passage in Mark, but we have to pan out to understand it. Here's what I think Mark is trying to show us here during Advent. Friends, your faith and your hope are not in vain. So some of us just sort of struggle to get in here today, and we're dying inside, and we're saying, where in the world will we get hope? And it won't come from you know, the Christmas songs at the mall, and it won't even come from the exchange of gifts and all the hustle and bustle. What Mark and what Advent is trying to tell us is there is hope, and that hope is bigger and better than you think, and it will change the world. And so I think in this series, we are like the Old Testament Israelites, because think of it, the Old Testament Israelites were waiting for Jesus' first coming, and they were waiting and waiting, and then there was 400 years of silence and no prophecies, and Jews were waiting, faithful Jews were waiting, but other Jews were saying, hey, give it up. Obviously, God isn't with you. Obviously, God doesn't care. Obviously, God isn't going to make good on his promises until on that first Christmas morning in Bethlehem, the Savior came. 
And so what I love about these hourglasses, and I've been giving you these hourglasses, and I encourage you to take them home and put them on your devotional table. And the reason that I'm doing that is I'm trying to deep set your identity as one who waits, as one who waits eagerly and hopefully, and who will not wait in vain. Because all of the teaching says uh, Christ will return when you least expect it. And so we least expect it now, right? Well, they're saying he's going to return when you least expect it. And so we're the people that wait, but we wait hopefully and eagerly. We're in between the first and second comings. And just like the Old Testament Israelites were waiting, you know, eventually you wait and the last grain of sand passes through the little narrow passageway. And what does that mean? It means time's up. And so here at Community West, Fleming Rutledge reminds us his first coming assures us of his second coming. All the biblical teaching says Jesus will return when we least expect it. And God will make good on his promises. He will make good on his promises to us, and he will restore the earth. So the question for us is, will we be ready? And will we watch and wait? And will we watch and wait in hope? In just a few moments, we'll sing, God rest you, merry gentlemen. And again, we have a Christmas carol, right? It's just a harmless Christmas carol pointing to Jesus' first coming, right? Well, here it is. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. So far, so good. But then this, to save us all from Satan's power. Have you ever noticed that? When we were gone astray. This is second coming stuff. This is end of the age stuff. And Mark is inviting us to pan the camera out and have not just the near term hope, but the full hope of the coming of our Lord. So we're saying in this series, yes, in a week it is Christmas and we will celebrate the coming of Christ in the cradle. But in the shadow of the cradle is the cross. And the backdrop for the cross is the clouds on which our Lord will return. And so Community West, the only question that remains during Advent is will we be waiting and watching watching eagerly for the return of Christ in glory to restore the earth? Will you pray with me? Lord, we just confess that we struggle. We get all bound up in all of it. And we lose hope, and we don't know where to place our hopes. But we don't want to sleepwalk through Advent and Christmas. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would deepen us and prepare us in hope for the coming of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.